Welcome. The Leadership Lesson Podcast inspires leadership growth in everyone. We have enthralling conversations with top leaders in order to provide you with life-changing lessons. My name is Caleb Nichols. I'm a speaker, a pastor, and a family man. My hope is to inspire spiritual depth and leadership growth in you. I love to sit down with leaders from a variety of fields, hear their personal stories and leadership experiences. This creates the podcast. Enjoy. Well, welcome to the Leadership Lessons podcast, everyone. Uh, our guest today is Lyle Shelton, uh, possibly the most hated man on the internet, but uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, he's currently with the Christian Democratic Party in New South Wales, and he's the former managing director of the Australian Christian Lobby, which you might remember him for. Really excited to have a little chat to him. We met years ago when he was uh, involved with the ACL at a pastor's retreat, and uh, I always remember that weekend, it was a great time talking about worldview and politics and Christianity and drinking wine. Uh, so welcome, Lyle. It's great to have you with me. Thanks very much, uh, Caleb. Uh, that brings back memories. I'd forgotten about that retreat, but that was a great weekend. <laughs> I remember you grabbing out the wine one night and I thought, this is just great. Please, talking don't, about don't changing tell, the tell. world. And... <laughs> uh, what goes on retreat wine. stays on retreat, Caleb. <laughs> Uh, that was a great time. And what you guys did in the ACL with the pastors in that retreat, I don't know how many you did, but it was, it was really beneficial for me. It actually helped start me on a bit of a road uh, towards understanding politics and probably bigger than that culture and worldview and those kind of things better. So I do really appreciate it. So it's great to have you here, mate. So I wanted to launch off with uh, just uh, that comment. How do you handle uh, the hate from the internet? You're probably one of the most hated Christian men on the internet. Based on the uh, comments I've read on your Facebook and things like that, you've obviously copped a lot of flack over the years for your different roles that you've had, uh, whether that's in politics or with the No campaign uh, around the same-sex marriage plebiscite. Uh, how, do you, how do you handle that? How do you handle the pushback? Well, I don't know whether I'm the most hated man, um, Caleb, or perhaps I'm probably just an exaggeration. The most, probably the most <laughs> misunderstood man on the internet, I think. I think that's just terrible misunderstandings that people have. But uh, look, um, in all seriousness, I think anyone you know who engages uh, mediums like Twitter and Facebook uh, and, and puts their head up above the parapet in these so-called you know, culture war debates uh, is going to, you know, come in for a, a bit of criticism. And unfortunately, we've lost the ability as a society to argue well, to disagree well. So, um, you know, the, the whole keyboard keyboard uh, warrior uh, mm. sort of thing kicks in where people can be anonymous and, you know, um, have little brain explosions and say things about people in, in a not very measured or nuanced way. And we probably look all guilty of it, uh, myself included, hopefully not in a, mm. in a hateful or, or bigoted way at people. But, um, you know, that tends to happen. And um, it, it is, look, it is, um, you know, particularly toxic social media environment. I think we all know that. And yeah. uh, we desperately need a, a reformation of manners uh, on the mm. internet and in our public discourse. Yes. I mean, do you think social media is really worth it? Like I often just consider like there's not really much good coming out of it. Is it helping in the culture wars? That's a really good question. Um, look, I've decided to stay engaged on, on Twitter and, and obviously Facebook. I mean, probably more people engage Facebook. It can be a little less toxic, although people do leave toxic comments uh, on your posts. Mm. Twitter's really the bad one. Uh, I like mm. to stay there because um, 
a lot of journalists are there. Uh, I'm amazed at how many high-profile um, people on on the on the what I would call the radical left of politics actually follow me. I, I put a post up the other day. Um, I can't even remember what it was what it was about, but before I knew it, um, Patricia Carvelis from uh, the ABC, uh, host of uh, Radio Drive, um, based in Melbourne, very prominent left-wing commentator. She piled on um, Mike Carlton, I think a, a former, I think he's a former editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, certainly a senior writer. Uh, he jumped in, and and suddenly my uh, contribution on social media had gone viral. Um, so mm. I, I didn't mind that, um, even though it was a Twitter pile on, people could see it for what it was. But you're contributing to the debate, and um, the fact that what you have to say from a Christian, you know, pro family, pro marriage perspective evokes that sort of reaction uh to me yeah makes it worth it um not not because i want to stir people up but because i want them to see that they're uh you know courageous voices who are willing to put uh, a counter cultural perspective uh into those platforms and do you get do you get people contact you maybe privately saying look i do really appreciate your opinion and i, I i'm not you know comfortable to to maybe comment publicly because my friend's family might see it but do you get that kind of uh, affirmation and feedback or is it just the pile-ons and the negative and look it's um there's, there's a lot of the you know what you see in the online world is generally fairly negative but um what really encourages me is that uh, often people will come up to me if they see me sometimes you know at an airport or or, or at a meeting where you might be speaking or some some or in the street sometimes uh, they'll come up and say, um, "Look, we, you know, if we follow you on social media and really love what you do, and and that that always really encourages me, and that keeps me going because, you know, they're the they're the quiet Australians, I suppose, um, <laughs> and uh, I know that they're out there as well. So yeah, it's definitely worth it, and I think it's important that we don't vacate the space. My my friend George Christensen, um, you know, who's the uh, federal member for Dawson. In yep. Mackay, we've known each other for many, many years. Um, he, uh, a few years ago, famously, you know, decided to get off Twitter. And uh, I, I, I said, George, don't. You know, we, we need to have more voices from uh, the conservative, Christian, centre-right perspective. Don't just vacate the field uh, to the mm. radical left and the libertarian right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's a, it's a fascinating culture we live in, isn't it? Because the old systems of having a voice or communicating have uh, been disrupted by social media and it does allow anyone uh, who's got something to say, if it's decent to say, it can potentially rise to the top uh, on the internet, which is very interesting. I think if you're average person, I mean, being a pastor, it can be challenging for them because the, the, you find a YouTuber you like, you find a podcast you like, and all, this, all of a sudden everything they say is gospel because it just aligns with what you want to hear and i think that's going to be the challenge for the next generation is helping them understand that there'll always be someone who says exactly what you want to hear on the internet but you still critical thinking is important respect is important um you know proper research is important facts are important i think those things are still critical well i I think the thing that should encourage um those of you who are pastors caleb and and look you know i'm sure you're a terrific communicator well i know you're a terrific communicator but as you say, all of us, you know, um, can compare ourselves with <laughs> the professional podcasts and productions that that people do these days. But what you offer, and what uh, what our local churches offer, which the internet can't, is authentic community. And um, mm-hmm. 
uh, I think, you know, you can give people the, the full package, you know, great communication, but also genuine relationship. And, um, and that is the obvious limitation, despite the advantages of, of social media and these new platforms, which are wonderful, um, nothing replaces face-to-face -face contact and authentic um, uh, you know, relationships that are honest and, and open and, and that sort of iron sharpening iron. So, uh, I, so I, I think, you know, it, it's the, the, the local pastor is, uh, I think that your role is more important than ever now. <laughs> if you if you could just come to my church on Sunday and tell everyone that, <laughs> especially well, down think, here in Victoria, man, it's a difficult time. I mean, we're recording this podcast as we're just coming out of lockdowns yeah. before Christmas 2021, and it's like, man, I, I don't think people really understand how difficult it's been in Victoria. We have had 50 Sundays without a gathering uh, in person over the last couple of years, and for the church and community and and walking together be authentic it's it's been we have been pushed to a cliff edge so it, i thank you for saying that everyone you heard it here first that uh pastors are important so <laughs> absolutely no i really mean it it is so important um and uh, look i hope and pray that as as a result of uh the trauma that you've all been through in victoria and we've had it to a lesser extent here in sydney it's been terrible i hate being alone um, i've loved getting back to church in the last couple of weeks and and uh, I think, you know, we've got to really lean into those relationships and, and being in an environment where we are honest and open and, and accountable yeah. uh, to each other. And that only comes through that face-to-face -face contact. So uh, you won't get that on YouTube. Nah, so critical. Nah, really well said. So um, on your website, it talks about you being involved for the last 20 years as a key participant in Australia's culture wars. And uh, your book that you um, wrote in 2020 called I Kid You Not, uh, the tagline is notes from 20 years uh, in the culture wars. And uh, yeah, just interested. Why Why are you so keen to be a participant in the culture wars of Australia? Um, yeah, I think, you know, since I was very young, um, you know, I grew up in a, uh, in a pastor's home. Uh, my, my parents were involved in Christian ministry. My, dad, my dad's a pastor. I think he's uh, perhaps been a guest or is going to be a guest he on has. your podcast. Um and uh, we just always had a keen interest in politics and and obviously Christianity. And uh, I guess as I was uh, becoming politically aware as a teenager um, in the you know nineteen eighties, uh, issues like um, uh, you know, abortion and, and what we were doing to the unborn in the womb, and how this was being enabled through politics, um, you know, really concerned me as a as a young person. Uh, and also just the political and cultural trends uh, that were devaluing marriage and the family. Uh, so I, I carried these concerns as a very young man. You could see the, the breakdown in society and this wasn't a good trend. Um, the sexual revolution, I mean, I was born at the, at the, the last year of the 1960s, so that dates me. Mm. I, I know that the boyish good looks I'm projecting on this uh, podcast uh, <laughs> don't belie that age. But, um, uh, the, 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 you know, I... I and yourself, um, well, all of us who have you know lived since that time have grown up in the shadow of the 1960s sexual revolution, and that's permeated our whole um, existence. And you know the, the value systems of our friends and um, those that we go to uni with, etc. Uh, what we see in the media uh, has all been this anti-family uh, uh, toxicity, and uh, we're mm -hmm. ripping the whirlwind uh, in terms of. Uh, you know, children being brought up without fathers or mothers, uh, predominantly without fathers, um, 
the, the social carnage that's come as a result of that through crime and and um, and just you know general sense of meaninglessness, suicide uh, yeah. rates are, are through the roof for young people in you know in the most prosperous civilizations that have ever lived. I mean, so Crazy. so what what we've done um, you know in the last 50, 60 years. Um, has been terrible, and and much of it, um, not all of it, has been facilitated through politics. Politics and culture sort of play a role together. Mm. So, um, I, I just found myself developing a, a real passion for that, um, and um, I've just pursued that uh, my whole life. And I found myself in roles where I've been confronted with, you know, do I speak up about what I see happening, or, or do I stay silent? And um, mm. That book, I guess, came because I, I realised I'd reached a juncture in my life where, hey, I actually have been full-time in the culture wars for 20 years. And uh, I, I was at a bit of a juncture in life where I was in between things. I'd had a failed bid at running for the Senate up in my home state of Queensland, had some time mm. on my hands. So I thought I'll, I'll just write down things that have been on my heart that I've experienced, uh, burdens about uh, how I see Australian society, uh, the state of the church, I put it all down in that book and um, and I just called it, yeah, uh, uh, I kid you not. Actually, my publisher uh, came up with that title, I kid you not, because um, he, he was very kindly allowing me to use some office space in his office in Brisbane. And I think every day when I'd come in and we'd shoot the breeze about the latest travesty in the media, uh, <laughs> I'd say, this has happened, I kid you not, you know. So, uh, <laughs> So my publisher, Anthony Capello, said, the title of your book has to be I Kid You Not, and uh, we subtitled it uh, Notes from 20 Years in the Trenches of the Culture War. So it follows my journey from a youngish uh, Toowoomba City councillor, my first uh, elected office uh, through the ACL years, the marriage campaign, and um, a couple of things that I've done since then. And what was really formative for you, like maybe it was in your 20s or something that really took you you know this is how i'm going to live my life this is going to be my vocation maybe you felt it was a calling from god was there a moment was this was there a, a flashpoint an issue that in particular got you involved i think um you know these things sort of uh, morph uh, and evolve i guess uh, uh i guess you know going back to my childhood i made a clear decision that i wanted to, to follow jesus as a child now i was not a perfect child uh, as my parents will <laughs> readily attest uh, just because you decide to follow Jesus and um, be, be a Christian doesn't make you a goody two-shoes or anything like That's that. Not. But, but um, it, it, it did become the overarching sort of drive in my life and my faith grew as I grew older and uh, my interest in politics uh, grew as well. And, I, you know, I mentioned issues like, um, you know, the, the human rights for the unborn and the breakdown of marriage and family. And, and you could see the effect of this through society. So... Uh, I, I became engaged and interested in those issues. Um, also, um, you know, the, the churches I was involved in, particularly um, uh, uh, my dad's church and, and other churches that were associated with his movement, uh, were probably pioneers in developing a, a what I'd call, a, you know, theology of, of Christian political engagement. So we were mm. seeing the gospel as, yes, obviously it is, um, our relationship with Jesus, of course, and our worship of him and you know, what we, we as Christians call piety, really important. But, um, but also seeing that the scriptures had a lot more to say than just about me as an individual uh, getting to heaven, that, that the gospel yeah. and the Bible is, is all about, um, you know, how this world is ordered and, and how mm. justice uh, is administered on the face of the earth and that God is interested in the poor, in the marginalised, the downtrodden. He's interested in the structures of society which facilitate 
uh, human flourishing. And, you know, any objective look at what's happening in our world, you'll see that um, those structures are breaking down, um, traditions, norms, uh, things which, um, you know, have, have upheld us. And, and, and I want to say that carefully, it's not about sort of hearkening back to the past, but as Christians, we want to see human flourishing and make sure that we're following principles, virtues, ethics, uh, ultimately following the Lord Jesus is what uh, leads to human flourishing. Now, how, how that translates uh, into public policy and uh, advocacy, that's, that's uh, all very fraught. But nonetheless, mm. uh, th these are the things that I've uh, sought to pursue very imperfectly, but uh, at least in, in, in some way. And uh, I guess the book tells a bit of that story. And, and how do you reconcile the fighting with your faith? Because some people, like you're talking there about, you know, how does a Christian approach culture? And, and obviously there's, there's some kind of theological position in your upbringing and your belief that, that, that allows you and encourages you that the gospel is not just personal, but it actually transcends the person, the church, and, 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 and you know, ends in the culture. Uh, but there's, you know, there's obviously other theological positions that would see that as, as inappropriate, that it is more private or there is, should be a more of a separation between the sacred and the secular. And, or, you know, so how do you reconcile the fighting bit? Because you've got to say some things, you've got to speak yeah. up, you've got to, you know, maybe you haven't done them well at times, maybe you haven't represented Christ well at times. I'm sure I haven't. How do you reconcile the two? Because fighting is a strong word, an aggressive word that maybe wouldn't be associated with Christianity. Yeah, that's right. And I've used the word war in the subtitle mm. of the book. So I'm saying, yeah, we're in a, in a culture war. Um, look, um, you know, there's a lot that you could unpack in your question. Um, you know, theologically, um, you know, the, the Bible uses um, you know, military metaphors. Um, now, we know from the teachings of Christ that uh, Christianity is a non-violent religion. Um, now, mm -hmm. you know, when we can get into... Um, you know, what nation states do in terms of wars and just war theory enunciated by Augustine, um, you know, back in the uh, third or uh, the fourth or fifth century. Um, so there's long traditions of, you know, justifying uh, military wars. But when we talk about cultural wars, uh, of course, I'm talking metaphorically. And because of the democratic traditions uh, that have developed uh, almost exclusively through Christian influence and perhaps Greco-Roman influence, but more so Christian influence in society. We fight those wars uh, through reason, discourse and debate, through seeking after truth. Um, mm. So that's what I mean by, by fighting. And, and truth does have to be contended for, as um, as my friend and mentor Jim Wallace wrote in the foreword to, to my book. Um, he said that's the great lesson of history is that truth has mm. to be contended for. And um, the Bible is, is full of that. It says, speak the truth in love. And um, mm. sometimes the truth, you know, and, and as you said, you know, I, I would be the first to say, you know, I perhaps haven't always lived up to that high standard. And <laughs> sometimes you get it wrong, you get your nuances wrong. But in essence, um, I think, you know, the role of Christians is to speak truth into society. The church is meant to be the pillar and ground of truth. And mm -hmm. um, we, we as Christians haven't abandoned the notion that truth exists. Uh, our postmodern society says there is no such thing as truth. Um, yeah. Your truth is my truth and whatever, um, you know, let's all kumbaya together. And of course, it doesn't work. It makes a big fat mess. And so mm. the church's role is to um, help society know the truth. Of course, Jesus says he is the truth, the way, the truth mm. and the life. And uh, I believe ultimate truth is found in knowing Christ. But I don't expect yes. everyone to have that revelation. 
But there are empirical things that we know in the way the world is ordered uh, that uh, we can point our fellow citizens to uh, about the way things work, whether it's, you know, the biological reality of marriage, um, you know, social science points to, you know, Christian family uh, as as being the best for human flourishing. All, there, there's lots of incontrovertible evidence mm. out there and uh, we need to be people who, who um, speak that. And if you don't speak it, uh, you leave a vacuum and my mm. great concern is that the church has left a big vacuum, particularly uh, in our generation, and others mm. have filled it with lies, and we're now reaping the whirlwind. So um, yeah. th this is why I'm passionate about these things. That's great. I really appreciate the answer, and uh, you know, I've always appreciated men and women like yourself um, who, who are willing to, to step into the culture and have that Christian voice, because not everyone's uh, gig it's not, you know, it's not my first responsibility as a pastor, but you do need people in the body of Christ to play these roles. And then I think we could all play a role um, to a degree with our democratic freedoms that we have and opportunities we have. And I'm interested maybe as we finish this little bit, um, it's been quite a unique wrestle here in Victoria, and you've probably had a bit similar in Sydney, with people and their faith and then positioning that with the vaccination debate's been really, really difficult. So like every church, we have maybe 10% in our church that aren't vaccinated. Um, and, and, you know, it's been interesting trying to work with with those guys. But then there's also been ones in our church that are vaccinated, uh, who other have other, you know, serious mental health things going on or physical health issues. And uh, they can come back to church, but, but they don't want to because of anxiety problems or whatever. It's been been a really interesting time like it's something we've never lived through before but i'm interested maybe where do you see it or what do you think with the whole vaccination lockdown mandates from a political point of view and and, and where we sit as christians because it's not as clear cut i wouldn't say as an abortion issue you know yeah no that's right look i think um you know the COVID issue has been one of the most diabolical confusing difficult issues uh we've faced uh look i think Obviously, it's a, it's a real health issue, particularly for the elderly, for people with comorbidities. And I think earlier on in the pandemic, we when we didn't really quite know what we were dealing with, um, I supported, you know, that governments had to take some fairly extreme health measures. Um, and, you know, that's fine. They were feeling their way a bit. But then I felt like as we got into um, this year, um, it was uh, way too much of an overreaction. Uh, you know, I mm. think once we knew... Uh, what a bit more about what we were dealing with that we knew that it predominantly uh, you know affected um the elderly the vulnerable i think the effort should have gone into quarantining those people protecting them throw the you know the enormous resources that we have spent um, we've mortgaged our children's future in hundreds of millions of dollars of debt to get our you know government debt you know nudging a trillion dollars i mean it's unheard of in australia's history uh, all um in what I think has been a massive overreaction. Uh, in terms of the vaccine, um, look, uh, I've supported the, the vaccination um, process um, and, you know, have got vaccinated myself. Uh, I know lots of people who, you know, won't touch it and uh, I respect I respect most of them. Some come at it from what I would consider to be, you know, conspiracy theory. Bill Gates is going to be tracking you, um, you know, um you're going to drop dead in two years time if you've had the vaccine i mean there are serious people who, who actually believe stuff like this um I've, and i've heard worse there are some who um i think understandably are, are hesitant you know that there is there was an experimental nature of the the vaccine 
Uh, I was prepared to take that risk, though, because, um, you know, a certain amount of testing had been done um, and governments were faced with uh, an emergency. You know, this pandemic was an emergency. And how do we get whole societies out of it? Um, and uh, so, um, the, you know, the vaccine, I think, was the best way to do that. Um, I think there's arguments about whether you vaccinate children uh, and even certain young people. I think we, yes, we should not dismiss um, adverse reactions that, you know, a small number of people have had, but there have been a significant number of people. So, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is it does have to be a nuanced sort of debate, but what's happened is if people like me who have had the vaccine, we're seen as, you know, virtuous and people who might be hesitant or worried about myocarditis or whatever, um, you know, they're, they're seen as, as anti-vaxxers. People who are worried about the freedoms because of lockdowns are, are now derided as, you know, far-right extremists. So, you know, the sort of polarising language and the um, and, and the inability to hear one another well, I think, has been been disappointing. Um, yeah. I think governments were in the, within their rights to encourage people to be vaccinated, but I think coercing and mandating it is wrong. Um, mm. I, I, I felt as, and this is my view, you know, and, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm more virtuous than others by saying this, but I, my decision-making process was that, um, okay, I knew there were risks with taking a vaccine, I knew that it wasn't a perfect vaccine. I knew that I'd probably never die from COVID, but I wanted to be a good citizen. I wanted to play my part in, in um, helping uh, you know, my fellow citizens come out of this pandemic. And our government was encouraging us that, uh, you know, based on their best health advice, this was the way for us to come out of lockdowns and to get our society moving again. So I, I decided to do that. And I think people should be encouraged to do that. But I think we've also got to respect the conscience of those who, for whatever reason, even if they might be for mad conspiracy reasons or whether it's legitimate hesitancy about a, a process they're not sure about, that needs to be respected as well. And I don't like the crushing of those people. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's well a bit said. rambly, but uh, hopefully... No, no, well said. I think it's really balanced view. And, yeah, I would agree. I think there was a, there was a level of encouragement that was good and i think most people like yourself yeah are saying you know took 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 the vaccine and you know, had rational reasons but i think this now this gray area especially in victoria where we've got to 80 percent and then they'll like 90 percent which we're going to hit which is i've been saying yeah. to people is miraculous yeah but now it's still not letting up there's still talk of you know daniel andrew saying a whole year for people that aren't vaccinated it's just i think it has got crazy yeah. overreach it's not good for anyone i agree mental health it's not really going to change the game having another getting to 91 or 92 percent i think it's just it's unhelpful now and uh the world isn't perfect well, we need to move on and try and just deal with things yeah. Well, well, that's the other really big problem that's emerged out of this pandemic, the way governments have handled it and the way they've changed the goalposts all the time and, and the yeah. inconsistent health advice. Now, you look, I get it was a confusing new virus, but um, I think we have seen clear evidence of health bureaucrats and politicians, particularly Dan Andrews in Victoria, just being drunk on power and uh, making mm. ridiculous rules that make no sense. And, of course, um, him wanting to you know, hang on to those powers uh, you know, going with, with seemingly no end in sight. And so it's made people very cynical of government and, and you know, sadly, mm. rightly so, at a time when we desperately need to restore trust 
<laughs> in our um, political class uh, because otherwise our society can't function. A democratic society can't function without trust between those who govern and those who are governed. And uh, that's been, mm-hmm. you know, further damaged very badly through the handling of, of, of all the state premiers, even, even the better ones like here in New South yeah. Wales. Um, so, yeah, the inconsistencies, the changing goalposts have been terrible. Would you, would you say it's at, at a bit of a low, the trust in government at the moment? Absolutely. And, and it was coming off a very low base. Um, I think we've mm. seen, you know, um, a toxic eating away of, um, of citizens' trust in government for a, a long time. And, um, you know, politicians are, are not respected. Uh, it's well known they don't keep their word. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, the way, you know, power has been exercised through this, I think, has damaged that trust. And I think mm. a, a lot yeah. more has got to be done to restore that. It's an interesting season ahead, mate. I think of my kids, they're 10 to zero or under one. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting for that next generation, your Gen Zers and then my kids, you know, that democracy, uh, governments, uh, culture, the internet, social media, that just the pace of life, you know, it's going to be a very unique uh, environment that they're growing up in or, or being adults uh, in. So I think, man, I'm just glad that I know Jesus because I don't think there's anything better you could equip people with at this time than to have a faith in a God who lives, you know, is transcended to all of this mess because <laughs> it's very yeah. confusing down here on the earth. So can we move on? Um, I'd love to hear a bit about the same-sex marriage campaign now, just maybe as a reflection. It was in 2017. You led the no uh, campaign essentially uh within the it was within the australian christian lobby i think at that time Hmm. uh you know i I was a little bit involved in 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 my bits and pieces i did down here what what are your reflections on that what lessons did you learn from that season um it 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 was it was a big one it was a big it was a big issue you know it it affected most australians were involved so yeah look it was a, a massive issue um and look i you know, found myself in a position where I ended up being uh, probably the main spokesman, certainly one of the main spokespeople for the no campaign. And and really that was because we couldn't find anyone else. <laughs> we, we begged <laughs> some other uh, prominent people when we knew the um, government was offering a, a plebiscite and there was going to be, you know, a three-month campaign. Uh, we felt we needed someone, you know, who was well-known and had some you know, gravitas and elder statesman or stateswoman, but we couldn't get anyone. And and mm. I was um, head of ACL at the like? time. And, um, Why is that? Look, I, you'd have to look. I, I need to be careful, but um, I, I think people were were concerned about um, you know jumping into such a toxic debate. I think um, they could see that it was probably a losing debate. Um, mm. It was seen if you um, went against what was a, a very strong cultural trend, you know, backed by a very biased media that it was akin to, you know, charging at machine guns and not many people mm. wanted to do that. And they're probably right in, in doing that. But I guess I, I'd been at ACL for, um, you know, um, almost 10 years and we had, you know, seen the warning signs of this very early. Um, you know, my predecessor there, Jim Wallace, who's, who remains the, the chairman of the board, at ACL, um, great man. He, with great foresight, could see you know that this was coming down the road. And of course, we would, you know, from when I joined ACL in two thousand and seven, we could see this was a major, major threat. Now, it wasn't the only thing we did over those ten years, but 
uh, we did have a firm eye on it and we were trying to awaken the church. Uh, we were trying to awaken politicians um, and uh, very few would listen. And, and then at mm. sort of five minutes to midnight, um, when the pressure built after some big international developments, um, one was the Irish referendum, the, the global gay lobby were very clever. They picked a tiny little country like Ireland uh, where the church was weak because of uh, child sex abuse scandals, which um, had just completely destroyed the credibility of the of the Catholic Church and a, and a very you know strong pro family uh, culture. Uh, so they they won a referendum there, um, leveraged the the global publicity off that, uh, and then of course the U.S. Supreme Court dictated you know from the bench that the whole fifty two states of the United States would would have gay marriage. So those two things coalescing just built the pressure in australia and our media mm. got behind it it was just relentless and um so in essence you know acl was sort of really one of the only groups um or one of just a handful of groups that was saying anything publicly in the lead mm -hmm. up to this and so when it came time to you know form a, a coalition to fight the plebiscite at five minutes to midnight um uh yeah i i found myself uh you know but, well, my, I found myself as part of a, a wonderful team of terrific people who came together to, to, to do what needed to be done. And my role was uh, as a spokesperson, but uh, I very hasten to say that um, there was an amazing team that was unseen, who did incredible work under incredible pressure um, mm. in probably the most difficult you know, campaign that, that any group of people have tried to take on in Australian political history, I'd say. Yeah. And, and looking back now, would you would have you done anything differently in how you handled it or how you led in that time? Um, no, I probably wouldn't have. Um, uh, I guess, you know, with hindsight, maybe we could have started, you know, 20 years earlier instead of 10. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, unless, you know, we were, we were overwhelmed by um, massive cultural forces. Uh, I don't mm. think we we're overwhelmed by um, the will of the people. I think the people were um, manipulated by these cultural forces, by a very clever propaganda machine. And uh, mm -hmm. here we are, you know, it's four years um, this November since uh, the plebiscite result was announced. And of course, um, legislation followed in the parliament uh, in, in December of 2017. Uh, and, uh, you look at the scenario now, the things that we said would happen uh, have happened. We said that um, same-sex marriage would result in uh, a diminution of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and uh, it would take away parents' rights to have their children kept free of radical LGBTIQA plus gender fluid um, sexual ideology in school. And what are we fighting today? We're, we're fighting... Uh, you know, gender fluid ideology taught in primary schools everywhere, everywhere. Um, we've just had uh, a, a freedom of religion or religious discrimination bill introduced into the federal parliament by Scott Morrison. It's being hotly contested because it seeks to try and restore some of the freedoms that were lost as a result of gay marriage. Um, we've got, you know, transgender um, males competing against females at the Olympic Games and, and in all of all of our sport right across the board. The Australian government's sports guidelines say that, you know, biological blokes have to compete with girls, you know. In so it just goes on and on the consequences of this rainbow political ideology 
have have only um, their, their momentum has only accelerated uh, since the passing of same-sex marriage, which is exactly what we knew, thought would happen, and it has happened. In fact, it's happened quicker than I thought. Yeah. Okay. And and where do you feel, or where do you see Christians, churches not really understanding these issues, or or maybe not really feeling the effects of them? I think um, you know it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in this podcast. Um, I think the church, in the last um, you know couple of hundred years, has retreated to um, Pietism, has traduced the gospel to me and Jesus and and me getting to heaven. So it's about you know how can I get out of earth to heaven instead of how do we um, fulfill what Jesus asked us to pray for in the Lord's prayer that um, mm. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven you know when the disciples said to jesus tell us how we should pray he didn't say pray that you go to heaven he said Mm. pray that you bring heaven to earth Um, Mm. and what we've what we're seeing as a result of um our vacation of the public square is hell coming to earth you know it's hell when a child is deliberately denied the love of their mother or father because you know two blokes um decide you know they can replace the mother and you know rent a womb and you know start a a market in human babies which is what the gay lobby now wants so that two blokes can have you know marriage equality um you know commercial Mm. surrogacy is hell on earth and and it's not just christians who say that the radical feminists uh will say that as well um Mm. you know the killing of the unborn is hell on earth um uh a you know a, a little girl wanting to compete in sport but having to compete against a boy, uh, that, you know, it just goes on. And there's many, many other examples. And yeah, this yeah. is as we as Christians have been silent. And, um, you know, one of the books that really impacted me strongly in my early days at ACL was Eric Metaxas's biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his famous mm. dictum that silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God mm. will not hold us guiltless. You know, not to speak is to speak. And the church has chosen not to speak in the face of evil. And um, that was my uh, feeling of great grief. And I, and I write about it in the book uh, coming mm. out of um, the same-sex marriage debate. Um, and I think the church missed a big opportunity. I do believe it was avoidable. Uh, and I believe much of the cultural mess that we find ourselves in is avoidable. But the church isn't playing its role as the pillar and ground of truth, as salt and light, as leaven. Uh, in society and uh, we need to we need to recapture that uh, role with uh, great urgency yeah it's a great encouragement and really appreciate that tell me uh, a little bit about what you're doing at the moment uh, with the Christian Democratic Party in in New South Wales Uh, you uh, maybe you could tell us a story you could tell it better than me Uh, but you've been invited down uh, by Fred Nile to succeed him uh, in in the Parliament there in New South Wales. Maybe tell us a bit about that, and and it's it's hit a bit of a uh, it's stalled. It's hit a little bit of a uh, I don't know, maybe it's not little, but it's really stalled. So maybe update everyone a little bit on that. Yeah, sure, um, Caleb. Yeah, this has been you know a real challenge and a, and a difficulty. And um, I was asked uh, earlier in the year, uh, quite out of the blue, actually, I wasn't expecting it, wasn't looking for it. I'd um, I'd been living back in Queensland, uh, seeking a political direction in life, and uh, had pursued that through a couple of avenues. Um, but uh, and, I, and I got um, an invitation from 
uh, Reverend Fred Nile, who's been a Christian uh, politician in the New South Wales Upper House for 40 years. It's been incredible. And wow. I remember reading his um, autobiography when I was a, a young man, and it greatly inspired me about how this Christian minister uh, got himself into politics. And, you know, he was one of the early campaigners against pornography. You know, before there was a Me Too movement, uh, Fred Nile was saying we shouldn't, you know, abuse young women through, um, through you know, sexualising them through pornography. You know, he was a man ahead of his time. He he called out the uh, the gay Mardi Gras and its values and how destructive that was to families and still is. So he was very a very courageous voice and, and was certainly, you know, someone who inspired me as a, as a young political activist. And so to be contacted out of the blue by him, uh, by his team, and then, um, you know, my wife and I flew to Sydney in March of this year and uh, met with him. And, uh, and he said he, he wanted to retire from the parliament and he felt that uh, God had asked him to, um, or God had told him to ask me to be his replacement. And that was a, a wow. great honor. So um, as part of that, um, uh, a succession plan was developed. Uh, his board signed off on it. Um, and, and in the lead up to a transition, which was due to take place uh, this month in November of uh, 2021, uh, I came down ahead of time to start working in his party organisation. Um, and, you know, I don't think he'd mind me saying that the, the party organisation has certainly, you know, declined over the years. Um, and uh, it, it has some problems, which are very public, unfortunately. There's a bit of factionalism and, and some court cases. So I knew I was stepping into a, a difficult situation. But I came in May and immediately started um, working in the role as uh, Director of Campaigns and Communications ahead of the transition into the Parliament. And um, I discovered there was a terrific appetite amongst God's people for what the Christian Democratic Party has to offer. Uh, thousands of supporters um, joined us, uh, hundreds of new members, and um, we raised uh, $120,000 uh, in, in, in a very short period of time. But then for some reason, and look, there's some things that have been said on the, on the public record, uh, Reverend Niall decided to uh, disendorse me. Uh, I've sadly not had a conversation uh well you know i've been denied the opportunity to have a conversation uh, with him to sit down and have and, and understand that um there's some things on the public record which people can find uh through google so it's been a, a grief and a, and a disappointment um the party uh because of problems that predated my arrival uh, is in receivership at the moment so i, I remain employed uh, by the party in, in that role uh, a board election is up coming and so my wife and I have just decided that you know we'll stay and um, contest the board election and if the members of the party would like me to you know to participate in a, in a leadership role to help give the party a viable future well we'll do that if um, mm. if not that's fine we'll accept what uh, the party members have to say and um, we'll mm -hmm. look towards whatever else God has in life but I just have a sense that um, that God does have a future for the CDP, and uh, so we've decided to hang in. It's been very difficult, been very challenging, uh, but um, we're still here, and um, this process still has a few weeks and um, possibly months to play out because of the Christmas break. So um, yeah, um, and what do you what do you think the biggest? I mean, it would be difficult to be objective at the moment. I'm sure you got a lot of skin in the game. You've moved your whole life into state for this role, and yeah. it's kind of been somewhat snatched from you at the moment uh, must be really difficult. Uh, but if you can separate yourself a tiny bit from that, like what are you learning in this time about leadership, about succession? You know, succession is a huge part of 
leadership that's often not done well. Any lessons yeah. there? Yeah, look, um, yeah, look, obviously, this is a, a terrible succession. Um, and uh, it's, it's gone very, very badly. And look, I don't want to, you know, look, my heart and desire is to, uh, you know, honor the legacy of, of Reverend Nile. he's done amazing things. Um, but but obviously, you know, things have hit a snag as, as um, you know, the, the, the organization he founded uh, is seeking to ensure that it has a future. And, uh, and I guess there's a big question mark over that future at the moment. Uh, I think the things that I'm learning personally is, um, is you know, very much patience. Uh, and that's not an easy thing. This, this crisis has, um, you know, and it's been in the public arena. So, you know, we, we can talk about it. And I'm not going to say everything that's gone on behind the scenes. But uh, it's been difficult and challenging, as you've said. But uh, I'm learning patience and learning um, very much that um, uh, to, to really rely on the Lord, uh, not to just look to natural circumstances. Uh, you do what you can, um, but you certainly you know, realize that um, we are in a spiritual battle and um, the enemy is not people. Uh, the enemy is not those who you know, I think might have done the wrong thing by me uh, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there is, you know, there's a spiritual dimension to everything that we face in life and so it's just learning to understand that better and to really pray into that and then to mm. do what we can um so yeah patience is probably patience and endurance is probably the big big thing right and and you had a succession with um uh in the acl when you took that over what what was that like with jim wallace you took over from him who's a you know phenomenal statesman for those who don't know maybe my generation younger may not realize his involvement with the uh, Australian Defence Force and the SAS and incredible yep. leadership there so I mean that was yep. big shoes to fill well what worked well in that succession that transition yeah that that was um uh, the pri- a real privilege to be involved you know with that transition I, I went to ACL in uh, 2007 and um you know, Jim made it very clear to me right from the start that he was looking for someone to succeed him ultimately. Now, that that, uh, that, that sort of surprised me at the time because um, I thought, well, you know, I'm still a relatively young man. Uh, Jim was, certainly wasn't old. And um, I, I went there and I worked for him for, for five years. But um, in the course of that period, uh, he said, look, are you still interested in taking this on? Um, and, and look, obviously being, you know, youngish and ambitious and, um, and then I said, yes, I, you know, that would be a privilege. And so we worked through a process over time. It would have been, um, you know, a couple of years uh, and uh, it was done with the board. And we, you know, this is where I I saw the the value and the absolute um, critical nature of good godly governance in a Christian Mm. organization. And, um, you know, I've seen, I've seen succession done really badly in churches. Um, Obviously I'm involved in a really bad one at the moment, but what we went through in 2012, um, 2013, uh, with ACL, with the guidance of the board, uh, with Jim being clear, with things being, you know, written out. Now, I'm not saying it was all it was all easy, and, I, and I'm sure, you know, you know, Jim would say it's it's not easy as a man who, um, you know, is uh, a dynamic leader to to then hand over to you know a young younger whippersnapper who's not as experienced and uh, makes mistakes, and 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 but he gave me room to make mistakes. Um, and uh, he uh, remained as a, as a mentor and a friend. And I think one of the keys for me was um, I really felt very strongly, uh, not to in any way, uh, and, I, and I hope I didn't, um, but uh, really st- felt uh, that I wasn't to in any way cut Jim off from, from me personally. Um, I still 
you know, pursued a proactive mentoring role when I um, went into the managing director's uh, job. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, I know of other contemporaries of mine who, who said as soon as they transitioned into, you know, particularly in senior pastor roles in churches, they said, oh, the first thing you have to do is get rid of the old guy, you know, make sure. Well, yeah, yeah. I really felt that was wrong. I invited Jim back to staff retreats uh, all the time to our fundraising dinners, made sure that he had profile. And and I think what made it work is he, whilst he um, was always available to give me guidance and advice, he didn't seek to interfere. He didn't try and get involved in the um, the day-to-day management. He, he took a governance role, not an operational role. And um, yeah. we were clear on... The distinctives of that role so that gave me freedom to to operate the organization to grow and develop in my leadership but also to uh, draw on his wisdom and experience and um, mm-hmm. we remain you know great friends uh, to this day uh, even though i left acl um, in early 2018 and uh, of course martin isles um, succeeded me and uh, he's been amazing and, and again i think um you know the 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 governance and godly environment that um that the board of ACL uh, created and creates uh, to this day uh, allowed um, you know a function you know function you know well two very functional transitions that have yes. uh, in both cases taken the organisation to to new levels and um, that, that I think so is critical. the difference between what I'm experiencing at the moment um, you know very dysfunctional um, governance and in fact almost non-existent uh, governance so so it's, yeah it's it is difficult. really really important. It's difficult when there's, uh, you know, a lack of health, and it sounds like that's maybe what you're talking about with the CDP. Uh, it's it's a challenge in my world with churches, and essentially, if things are healthy, you know, eventually it may be slow, but fruit, you know, will come. The harvest comes. The benefits come down the road, yeah. and health begins with governance. It begins with uh, the council of wisdom that sits at the top of an organisation, and sometimes that isn't the formal board. Sometimes it's a, you know, in the church world, it can be a group of older people, but someone has power at the top. And if that's healthy, you're going to get this flow on of succession and raising up the next generation and looking to the future and managing transitions. I think if it's unhealthy, you get get power grabs. People have way too much emotional uh, yeah. engagement. They're getting something out of the organisation that's not that's not right. And I would assume, without knowing, that you're probably bumping into some of these things in the CDP, whether they're visible and evident or whether they're invisible. But there's things that aren't right. There's just a lack of lack of health, and there's not clarity of vision. There's not good communication. Yeah. Um, you know, someone's in it for the wrong reasons. So it's great to hear that with Jim because. You know, a man like that, it, it is very difficult when you've been involved in ACL from the grassroots, you've been a leader all your life. Yeah. Uh, to still be involved but not to overreach uh, shows a yeah. lot of character on his behalf. It shows enormous character because um, I still would rate Jim as uh, he's probably the most amazing leader that I've encountered in, in my life and I've had the privilege of you know, being exposed to many great leaders. But um, I think his humility... Uh, as a very good, functional, secure leader himself, uh, mm. to to hand over control and um, you know empower with with great humility um, to you know to a younger man who was nowhere near as experienced and and you know did not have the gravitas that that he had, but nonetheless did it anyway. 
uh, in a way that then allowed me to you know develop my leadership and i and i hope and i tried and i'm sure i did it very imperfectly but to try and show um humility from my end in that um i wasn't there to try and cut him off or to marginalize him in any way mm. and um uh, i i i remember clearest uh, day, uh, another leader in the body of Christ saying to me, you know, if um, if Jim Wallace, you know, stays on your board when you're managing director, you'll never be managing. Well, that that was, you know, that was, um, it was well-intentioned, but it wasn't the truth. And mm. um, we were able to, um, you know, get the best of both worlds in terms of me being able to flourish and develop uh, and, and, and also there being a proper role of honour for the organisation's founder. But he was mm. secure enough um, to know where the demarcation lines are and where yeah. to, to operate that. And Which now, it all comes yeah, back again, to. It all yeah, comes back absolutely. to that, doesn't it, Lyle? Like you have to be secure in yourself. When there's a lack Very of security so. in yourself, then that's where problems start. Yeah, and, and look, you know, I'd be the first to say, you know, um, growing into security uh, is something <laughs> that I had to learn. And I'm not saying everything was perfect, but we did manage to execute it in a way that produced beautiful fruit and... Um, you know, the organisation went to another level. And then when uh, when uh, Martin took over from me, it went to another level uh, yet yeah. again because of the incredible giftedness he had. But um, I believe uh, his incredible gifts were able to be released in the context of a godly and a functional uh, and secure board. And um, mm -hmm. so the, the governance is so, so crucial. So uh, crucial. And, yeah. <laughs> I've seen it a lot myself. Well, I've really loved having you on. Well, it's been amazing. We've covered a whole bunch of different things from how you handle difficult people on the internet, your book, Culture Wars, same-sex marriage, uh, the CDP, which for those listening is in New South Wales. We're not talking federally here. We're talking New South Wales Parliament. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say, mate, as we finish off? Uh, no, it's just been a great privilege, uh, Caleb, to be able to... Um yeah, express uh, these views. I hope I haven't rambled and ranted too much, but uh, it's been an enormous <laughs> privilege and I appreciate the insightful way you've uh, asked questions. So thank you. And uh, ah, thanks, yeah, I hope this is a blessing. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. You're a great leader. I think it's been it's been great to uh, kind of watch your uh, career and involvement in politics. I love your heart for God and the fact that you want to use uh, what you believe in uh, to bless other people uh, in Australia and uh, in the culture and through the political area especially. So, yeah, well done and thank you very much. Thanks so much, Caleb. I trust you were impacted by that Leadership Lessons podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts about today's podcast. Please comment down below and please review the podcast and share it with a friend. Doing this inspires us and helps others to find the podcast. See you next time.